Greetings, I am Jim. And I am Sean, and we welcome you to our podcast. Our goal is to entertain you with our discussions about RPG, fantasy, and everything in between. Come sit by the fire. You're safe here. We'll keep watch. We hope you enjoy 13-Sided Die. Level 3, Episode 25. It's old school Thacko, and Jim shares his fave board games. Join us for a trip down memory lane as we chat about original D&D combat and armor classes. We try to take away the complexity of the old ways and make it easy to understand. Jim talks about his favorite board games and impresses Sean with his first full segment. Listen for when Jim's stream cuts out. Was it goblins? All this and more in our latest episode of 13-Sided Die. Hello, friends. Uh, we are back. Um, been a little while. We were just joking about that. A um, number of things have happened. I think uh, winter break, Christmas, etc. was probably the biggest part. Uh, I know both Jim and I had pretty busy schedules, so we weren't able to connect. But nonetheless, we're together now. Um, it is almost mid-January in the new year, which is crazy. And it is extremely cold here in Alberta. Right, Jim? Yeah, minus 40. That's insane. And for you American people out there, that's almost like minus like 32, 35 or something in Fahrenheit. This is when the, the, the two temperatures converge and they meet. It's absolutely bonkers. Um, yeah, it's a bit, bit of a cold snap. So uh, I'm down here in the basement in uh, the Ardnor uh, D&D clubhouse with the blanket around my legs because I'm bloody freezing. Um, <laughs> but it's all good. Uh, so, hey, Jim, good to see you, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Mrs. Epic got me a... Uh little fireplace for the fungin for my birthday this year so nice. it's nice to down here yeah <laughs> that's cool yeah i need one of those down here at my legs for sure it's uh it's a little nippy but that's okay um so yeah we uh we're not going to apologize but uh sorry it's been so long um it uh like i said it's just been a bit bit hectic a bit crazy and a lot going on but uh we're here now uh, very excited. Um, today we're going to talk about some cool stuff. I'm going to ramble on about old uh, old school D&D armor classes and Thacko and all that kind of stuff. And Jim's going to talk about... Board games. Board games. Yeah. Favorite board games. Favorite board games and stuff. Yeah. So we'll kind of chime in on each other's kind of topic, but um, I don't really know much about board games at all, so I won't be much, much help there. Um, but yeah, we were saying maybe we'll just, uh, first of all, catch up a little bit. I said it has been a very, very... Uh, busy, but a lovely time. Uh, I did spend some time over Christmas break. It's it's funny. I often say this to people that you should um, take a break, take a time to kind of recharge the batteries, and you know do some of your own stuff. And I really found this year that totally worked in my favor. I worked on a uh, a prop piece from Indiana Jones uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I made the little headpiece for the staff of Ra, which is very famous in that movie. And it was really fun to spend like two, two and a half weeks just working on that and do it from start to finish and complete the project. And then when I started doing client work, oh man, I tell you, I was like a rocket, man. I was flying through stuff, totally charged up, good energy levels, really excited, really creative. And I'm just working like a madman and loving it. So uh, for me, it, it actually really did did do that kind of recharge the batteries. Um, did you do anything special over the break? Uh, yeah, I did my first acrylic painting. So that was right. good times. And that was the same thing. It was the in-laws were out of town for Christmas. My parents didn't end up coming up. So uh, just me and the wife. So she, she just played video games and I painted and played video games. And That's awesome. That was good. It's important to get that time, I think. Uh, it really kind of 
I don't know. It just really, really grounds you and gives you a good base to work from. Um, I mean, the new year is nothing. It doesn't mean anything. It's just another day on the calendar. Um, but we have we, we associate something about a rebirth, a new beginning to a new year. And, you know, it's probably good because it's a chance for us to kind of clear out the cobwebs and start again and do something, you know, a, a, a new new perspective new direction maybe so uh yeah i felt that the break was really good to do that and uh we also had a meeting back in uh end of november of uh, the uh ardcon uh fellowship was together on discord and we talked about that and we're happy to announce that uh this year ardcon will fall on saturday june 8th uh, which is exciting it's a week earlier than we did last year um that's just because GameCon moved theirs back a week so we had to follow and move it back a week so yeah we don't want to go second no, we're not going second. We're going before them. <laughs> and, uh, the bastards took our weekend. But um, that's all right. And uh, yeah, I'm in the process of talking with the community center, uh, getting the hall locked down. But I think we're looking pretty good. And we're going to start uh, kicking that into high gear right away soon. So that's pretty big and exciting news. Well, awesome. Yeah, I'll do the uh, mini painting competition again, I think. so. That was so much fun. That was a really, get, really good time. Yeah, I'll get Dustin on that. for We get yeah. some, some cool minis for that. Yeah, that went over really well. Um, yeah, we're very excited. It's going to be a really fun show. Um, we had talked about having two rooms, um, but we found out the second room at the hall, you have to access out from outside at a different entrance. And that just seemed too much to work on too much. And it just, for me, it just kind of put the nail in the coffin and said, we're just going to stay with the one main room like we did last year and kind of adapt and work from there. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk about all the fun things we're going to have and, and do. And uh, it's, it's very exciting. So any of you that came last year, please come back. And if you didn't and you're available in the Calgary-ish area, please uh, think about stopping in we had a we had a great time and yeah, we're gonna do another live podcast there or? i don't know we'll have to talk about that maybe we'll have to see um i think we want to do some of the things that we did before but maybe introduce some new things too so we'll have to see how that goes but uh yeah it, it was it was a blast it was a really and we're gonna make the day longer we we uh, didn't really know for that one so i think we ran for about six hours but i think we're gonna stretch it out to maybe eight or so so uh that'll be kind of fun a little bit more time um it won't it, for me for me as an organizer it felt kind of scr- not scrambled but you're hustling you're constantly running around trying to keep things rolling and there wasn't a lot of um like time between stuff it felt very kind of manic and i, I want to kind of spread that out a little bit so it doesn't feel quite so uh you know panicked rushing from thing to thing to thing so yeah. i don't think the the, the the attendee didn't get that but as an organizer i know i certainly felt a lot of that pressure trying to keep it rolling and the the time schedule was tight and i want to make that a little bit less tight so that's a, a big one for me maybe but, we uh, get some uh, super fans up there yeah mike and uh Chris and, you know, kind of a round table chat on third side totally. die. <laughs> that would be fun. That'd be really fun. And, you know, I want to say, well, it's been amazing. The amount of people that came that have reached out, there were people like that were vendors and stuff that have offered to help. Like it's been an outpouring of people that want to sit and help. So that's, that's amazing. I'm really excited about that. So maybe we can have some more volunteers this year to do a few more things. So anyways, best, that's uh, best community on earth, man. Oh, dude, it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And again, just to reiterate from what we talked before, we we thought maybe we'd get like maybe 50 people turn up. We kind of hoped maybe 100 would be fun, like as attendees. We had over 220 attendees come to our first con. It was ridiculous. And then you think there was about 50-odd people there who were vendors. And then there was about 15 of us that were uh, either presenting and or uh, organizers. So, I mean, the whole day was close to 300 people went through that place, which is bonkers to me. I just amazing so yeah we uh we we're really excited for the next one and see where it goes yeah okay um anything else you want to just chat about before we get going or is that kind of uh, a, a good preamble um oh i did want 
I have some collector's edition Dragonlance books Ooh. showing up this afternoon. So you oh. guys might hear my dog losing his shit when and, those and arrive. Then, <laughs> and then you lose your shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I got them. They are mine. Yeah. yeah that's I got cool, an, man. Yeah, I got an eBay problem. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. That's yeah. okay. It happens. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's exciting. You'll have to give us a little bit of a, a you know, a look at them at some point, either this show or another show. Maybe that'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, like we said, we're going to um, kind of break the show up into two parts and uh, we're going to kick it off with um, myself blathering on about uh, old school D&D armor classes, Thacko and that kind of stuff. Um, so f- I've kind of always said that Dungeons and Dragons is kind of a game that you almost have to be invited to. Like if you want to start playing D&D, you kind of almost have to be invited. You have to know someone who's played. Um, it's not as bad now because I think the threshold for entry is a lot easier. Uh, they've made it simpler and simpler over the years. But it used to be very kind of um, selective and it was very, you know, almost like a code you had to break to figure out how to play the game. And if you just picked up a manual and tried to figure it out by yourself, good luck. It was extremely hard to do. So, um, like I said, a little easier now. So back then, you almost had to know someone who played and, and got them to bring you along. And uh, I started out in um, high school. It was the first time I really properly played. There was a D&D club, and I joined in, and we could start playing there. And then after high school, a couple of the buddies from there, we started playing. And to this day, I still play with some of those crazy people. And so, yeah, it's, it's amazing. That got's over 40 years of D&D, which is just incredible, and other role-playing games. But the thing about it in the old days <clears throat> that made it interesting um, is, uh, so for those of you out there who maybe haven't played, I'm pretty much pretty sure almost all our listeners have played or know about Dungeons & Dragons, but just in case, the definition of armor class, or AC, represents how well your character avoids being wounded in battle. Things that contribute to your AC include armor you wear, the shield you carry, and your dexterity modifier. So that's right out of um, D&D Beyond today. Uh, grab that. But to me, um, and you're going to see as I, as I kind of explain, the whole theory of combat and how that works based of from a Dungeons & Dragons standpoint is becoming what I call a division of labor. And I'll kind of explain what that means later. So history, AC or armor class, it comes from Gary Gygax's pre-D&D system called Chainmail. And that was his game that he had that you can uh, you could buy like the little kind of almost like pamphlet book style on chainmail very expensive to buy them now original copies and it was a kind of a, a war game type thing for um for playing with like individual characters individual people and that was his guts kind of crunchy rules for how combat happened and it was taken from a lot of the war gaming systems prior to that it was Dave Arnson that came along who added really kind of the role-playing and the magic-type element to it that became the two of them making Dungeons & Dragons. But Gary had the crunchy stuff from Chainmail for how combat went. And funny enough, in Chainmail, your armor class went up. So the more armor you had, the higher your armor class was, which is how it is today in Dungeons & Dragons. If you have really good uh, armor, you have a good dexterity, maybe you've got some magic things, you, your AC will be a higher number, 18, maybe a 20. But original D&D, due to more classes and stuff that Chainmail had, they had to invert it. They had to switch around the armor class. So meaning that the lower the armor class, the better it was. Uh, so in early versions of D&D, you would um, actually subtract your bonuses um, from your base armor class. And um, it was interesting. It was a little bit different. So if you had like a, a, a five that would be like an equivalent of a 15 today, if that makes sense, because based on both systems, on the previous and our current, is 10. 10 is a person standing there, no armor, 
basic clothes on, ready to be hit. They're a meat puppet. That person has a 10 AC, and that works for either one. But on our original D&D or Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, AD&D, it went backwards. So, you know, from there... I mean, let's see. Let's let's give an example. So I'm I'm going to figure out the armor class for a villain uh, by the name of uh, Malric the Vile. This is a gentleman that I created for you today. Uh, so like I said, your base armor class is ten. Malric wears leather armor, and so he's at an eight. <clears throat> Excuse me. He has a good dexterity of sixteen, so he has a modifier of minus two, and he also wears a plus one ring of protection. So to calculate Malric's armor class would be eight minus two minus one. His AC is five. Okay, so Malric is running with an armor class of five. So now we have a villain. Let's see how we're going to go about hitting that person. Like, what what, what is the, the functionality in old school D&D of hitting somebody? So we're going to say it's a, you're a first level fighter. And you've got a magical longsword. It's got a plus one bonus. You've got a strength of 17. That's pretty good. So it gives you a plus one hit probability modifier. So all that said, you attack with a plus two to your die 20 roll, right? Plus one for the sword plus one for your strength. You got a plus two as your modifier, and then you make your roll. Um, so let's see what happens. Uh, you know, you roll, and you get a 12. Perfect. You take your plus two modifier, your total attack is 14. So 14 to hit Malaruk the Vile with your longsword. So what happens now is that it's in the DM's hands. And the DM would always have this either you'd flip open your book, it was marked in your DM's guide, it's the most used page, two-page spread on your DM's guide. Um, or you'd have it up on your screen and it's your charts, your combat tables that you look at to see whether a hit or not works. So I would then say, okay, let's have a look. There's four different combat charts to look at. And what they did is they grouped certain classes together. So 1A was clerics, druids, and monks. 1B was fighters, paladins, rangers, bards. 1C, magic users, and illusionists. And 1D, thieves, and assassins. So this is kind of where the magic is happening in this. Each of those different tables are structured differently because like a fighter who say has an attack of 14, he has a higher chance of hitting than a magic user with the same attack number of 14 because the theory is that a fighter is more adept at battle than a magic user would be. And so these four different tables would be adjusted differently. So even if everyone rolled in a party, all rolled 14s, they all have different chances of hitting based on their class. Um, so as a DM, I would look at the combat table for a fighter on the X, I'm sorry, on the Y axis, the vertical axis, it would run from 10 to minus 10 for armor class. And like neg 10, that's like the ultimate best AC ever. You can't get any better than negative 10. And then the X axis along the bottom of the chart is the level of the fighter. And technically they group levels, like it was one to three, I think three to five and like that kind of thing, right? So you had to get past three levels before you'd get to the next kind of column on the chart. So I look at those and I say, okay, Malric the Vial has an armor class of five. We, we determined that. So I'd look at five on the vertical axis and I would cross-reference it with level one of that fighter and the table would say 15. You need a 15 to hit him. Our roll was 14. You just missed him. Sorry, buddy. Try again. And what would happen is that every single time someone hit, the DM would have to look at the chart, they'd have to remember the AC of the opponent, they'd have to take your to hit number, do a quick cross-reference, look at it, and determine if you hit or not. And it, you can see how this is time-consuming. I mean, people complain now about how c combat is slow now. It's like, try playing, you know, D&D &D or AD&D, it's just like, there's constant chart referencing going on to figure out if you hit. Um, it's not a bad thing, it's just a thing, and it takes time. But for me, when you're playing 
the more immersive and the more into the game the players can be, the more fun it is for everybody. If it's constantly stop and check, stop and check, did it hit, didn't hit, what that just really breaks the game down. Um, you know, we talked about initiative order, so you got five people playing. Number five on the initiative order is just sitting there bored stiff waiting to go through this for four people. By the time it gets to that person, they're, they don't even know what they're doing because they're so tired and bored. So that was, an, to me, that was kind of the negative about it really slowed things down. And uh, so you remember I said that combat is a division of labor? Like, that's how I see it as? Well, to try and speed the game up, uh, they looked at the system and they created something called to hit armor class zero or most commonly call, um, referred to as Thaco. So it's T for two, H for hit, A for armor, C for class, and zero for zero, and we say Thaco. Um, so basically, as a DM, I would look at my combat table for the player's character and class. In this case, we said you're a fighter, so I'd say, okay, fighter, and you're level one, perfect. Zero armor class, okay, you need a 15, or a, I think it's a 15, or a 14, or whatever, to hit zero. And I would say that is your Thacko. So as a player, you'd write down on your character sheet to hit armor class zero equals 15. We're going to just say it's 15. So, um, oh, I'm completely lying. I've already done the read. I've already done the checking and I checked the table this morning. Sorry. And it's 20. You need a 20. That makes sense. So if you know what your Thacko is, what you can now do is subtract your opponent's armor class from your Thacko number. And that would let you know you need to hit them. So in this case, if your Thacko is 20, because the DM determined that from the chart, and we know that our villain is a 5 AC, 20 minus 5 equals 15. You need a 15 to hit him, which we found out because we did all our charting and you got a 14 and we, and we missed. So that's how you would offload some of the DM duties. If you could, before the game started, determine everyone's Thacko, the DM didn't have to consult his charts anymore. The players can now handle what they need. All the DM has to say is that, yes, Malric the Vile is AC 5. Everyone would be like, okay, great. My Thacko's 20, my Thacko's 22, like whatever it is. And they would just subtract that AC from your Thacko and you would know what you need to hit him, offloading the work. Uh, like I said, that division of labor, because if the DM's having to do more work than everybody else, he's the bottleneck, he or she, right? They become the bottleneck. So by offloading some of that work to the players, the, the game makers realize that's something we can do to speed the game up. So that's where Thacko came from. It was just a way to make things faster, offload DM responsibilities to the players and let them kind of roll with it. So like I said, all the DM needs to do is tell you the opponent's AC. You can figure out if you hit them. That's division of labor. Um, you're smiling. Do you get, did you have something you wanted to say or? Oh, just that must have been a nightmare to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> like originally you know, it, when they sat down and you know, yeah. did all the charts. and Yeah, it know. was. it's crazy, you know. And I, I remember when we played because I remember I played this for years, right? And so when Thacko came out, it was just like this lightning bolt hit us. It was like so exciting because it, it took so much of the time wasting. Uh, that's not a wrong way to say it, but so much of the time it took to do things from the game, it took that away. Because oh, no, all you had to do, right? All you had to do at the beginning of the game was just determine each player's Thacko, which only changed if you went up a level. That's the only time it would change. And then if it was in that, you know, it might not because it might be fighter level one to three, right? Four to six, like, so you're in groups, so you might go up two levels and it never changes because that's just how charts work. And you just had to give them that number at the beginning of the game. And if they hadn't gone up a level, even next game, it'd still be the same number. And once they had that number, they could determine all they needed to know was the AC of their opponent. Well, that's huge, right? Huge. And as a DM, your bad guys, you would write down their Thacos. And all I needed to know was look at my chart of my player's ACs. And I could determine if I hit them without even asking them anything. I knew what their ACs were. So it really did help speed up the game. It was huge. Now it does become a little tricky because remember we said that armor classes go down, right? 
they decrease. So 10 for uh, meat puppets standing there with just clothes on. Down, down, down. If you start wearing plate armor, you have a high dex, you're carrying a big full shield, you know, very paladin thing or something, you could get below zero. Once you went below zero, now you're into negative armor class numbers. So you could literally have an AC of neg three. We talked about neg 10 is as good as it got. Like you, could, you, you couldn't go past neg 10. So if you had an armor class of minus three, you couldn't use Thacko. Thacko worked completely from, if you, to hit armor class zero for our fighter, first level is that he needs a 20. Everything before that goes, if he, if he's, um, it, it goes by one. So it's like 19, 18, 17, all the way down like that, depending on, you know, the situation. It goes linearly. It counts linearly for anything like that. So it's totally fine. If the opponent's armor class, though, is below zero, it's not linear anymore. They start grouping. So I think for a fighter to hit armor class zero, neg one, neg two, and maybe neg three, they're all 20. Mm. It's not to get to like neg four. Does it become you need a 21? Which it was really funny because it only struck me today looking at that, going back and I mean, a lot of the stuff I had to remember, but I, I kind of wanted to be as accurate as I could. So I went back and looked at some of the stuff, pulled up my old manuals and dug through. That's really funky. If they say that armor class zero to armor class neg three is all a 20 to hit as a player, why the hell would you ever go and try and boost up your armor class below zero? Because you'd have to gain like somehow four things, like four extra elements to your armor class before you got any benefit from it. That's a lot. Like you'd have to be like huge magical items you're wearing just to try and get one less chance that someone's going to hit you by like by one, one number. It's interesting. So anyways, that's how they did it. If you're below zero, um, if the armor class went below zero of your opponent, you had to ask your DM what it was to hit them. Cause like I said, it wasn't linear anymore. It didn't go like one, you know, 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, like that. It wouldn't go 20 straight to 21. In this case, actually it was 20 for the next three things past zero. So, I know this has probably been a lot of people. I probably lost them like two sentences into this conversation because um, it is it's obtuse to what we know as armor class and the way combat works. But this did work. It was just more calculations. And it's it's not wrong. It's just a little bit counterintuitive as to why did they go? Everything in the game is ascending, right? Like, you know, roll a saving throw. It's ascending. You need to beat. A, you have to beat a higher number. In this case, you still have to beat a number, but you have to do reverse math to figure out what the number is to get to that. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it was kind of a, a funky way. And so Thacko was their way of trying to make it easier. So if we compare it in the year 2000, the new owners of D&D at the time, Wizards of the Coast, released version 3.0. And again, they tried to adjust the division of labor. So the first thing they do when 3.0 comes out, and this created huge ripple waves and huge controversy or controversy if you're British, is they made AC Ascend. So it's the armor class situation we know today. They made 10 the base point, but if you had a wooden shield, you had 11, right? If you had leather armor on, you're now a 12 or, you know what I mean? It went up and all these things were accumulative. They all added together. Um, that's what they did to get better armor class so you can avoid being wounded. Um, it makes scales easier to work with because it's just easier to add everything up instead of subtracting and then trying to add on to a subtraction. Um, but the other thing they did to me, which is the biggest thing of division of labor is they removed the DM's combat table. The DM no longer had to consult a table. That calculations they did depending on the level of the person, the class of the person, that stuff, they took that hit probability and they worked into the character's class. Because when you think about it, you go to a character, when you're rolling up your character, every level you go up, you have a to hit probability that, in that increases at certain levels, right? Like that's built in your character. That's why like now it's very standard for a character fairly early on the game to be like plus five to hit something because 
That plus five used to be on the DM side on their table. They moved it over onto the player's side. So whenever your character goes up a level, you consult your your class table and you see what happens at that new level. Maybe you get a feat, maybe you get something. But usually it tells you if you have a modified number to hit something, right? Like that's what we have now. So by doing that, they offloaded, they did the division of labor and they put more onto the player and less onto the DM and let the player keep track of that. Every time you go up a level, does my probability to hit increase? You know, sometimes it does. And it just um, feels better as the player getting the pluses, you know, kind of. Jim, I think you've really nailed something there too. I, I mean, it's a huge thing for the DM not to have to keep track of a lot of stuff. They can keep track of their game. They can keep track of the story, keep track of the bad guys, that kind of stuff. But I think what you said is exactly true as well. I mean, you feel way more comfortable as a player having a plus five to hit than you have a plus two. The other plus three is still there, but it's on the DM side of the screen that the player never sees because it's lost in a table that the DM consults. They took it out the table, put it into the player's side on their character. So now it's it's the character has a higher to hit probability. It feels better. It's part of your element. It, it makes you more engaged, I think. Um, so similar to the Thacko, all the DM has to do now is just tell what the opponent's AC is. So if we're playing, I can tell you that, you know, um, Malric the Vile's AC is five. You know right away that you're a fighter, you're first level, you're a plus five to hit, and you roll, yeah, you know, miss. you can't, yeah, you roll your dice, you add your plus five to it. Did you beat, did you beat, you know, his AC, which in his case, his AC was five in the old days. It would be equivalent of um, 15 now. Did you beat 15? If you beat 15, you hit him. So it's it's very interesting, like that same number that you had to beat them on the old scale is the same as the new scale. It's just, you had to go in a roundabout way to get to it. It was a bit confusing to get there, but it's just simplified things. And so, you know, the nice thing is that the DM doesn't also have to figure out what everyone's Thacko number is at the beginning of the game anymore, because it's just built in to the character's um, character sheet. It's, it's right on there, what their to hit probability is. Again, all I need to know is the armor class. So for DM, you're gaming, you write down, you know, Malric the Vile, hit points, however many, AC 15, and, you know, some DMs don't like to say what the AC is. They ask their players, what did you roll? And then they will say you hit or you missed. And then the players will play a game where they'll keep writing down, oh, 13 mm -hmm. misses, 16 hits. And they'll just try to zero in on what the hit with that person's armor class is. That's cool. A lot of times as a DM, I just tell my players AC, his AC is 15. It offloads the work. I'm distributing the labor out to my players. I don't have to keep track of the hit or not. You just tell me if you hit them. I trust you. And if you fudge the dice, that's your world to live in. Karma will get you. I'm not bothered. Like... <laughs> You know what I mean? And and so it just, again, helps. the. I want the game to go by. I want there to be interaction during the battle. I want players to yell at the bad guys. I want the bad guys to snarl and say evil comments to the, you know, to the, our heroes. I want that to happen. I don't want to get caught up in, you know, all the crunchy, crunchy math. So, you know, I, I think they've tried to make it simpler and simpler and simpler. And uh, yeah, that, that's kind of a journey through, you know, all those years of D&D, AD&D. Um, what was called true, like kind of second edition still used this. It wasn't until in 2000 when they came out with version three and then subsequent 3.5 and four and now five and our, what, our new 5.5 that's coming. Um, no idea. That, no idea. That uses, you know, uh, an, a, an ascending armor class and uh, you don't have combat tables. It's built into your character sheet. So um, I hope that made sense. It's, it's, it, it, it it's confusing, but it's actually quite simple. It's just a reverse way they did it to get at the exact same number. Like either old system or new system to hit Malric the Vile, you needed a 15. Whether we talk about the new system or the old system, it's still a 15 somewhere that has to be beaten. It's just how you get there and how you look at it, which I find fascinating that it still transposes all those years later. It's just way more 
understandable now and it matches everything else that is roll a high number to beat something like everything in dnd is roll a high number to beat something right um i mean a death save is roll a 10 or greater to be succeeding your death save everything is like beat a number so it was kind of weird that you know your armor class went down instead of going up that was the you know i understand why they did it it was just made things a bit confusing and again, that to me made the threshold to entry to the game even that more difficult because all of a sudden one area actually goes down. Why does it go down? You know, and it's just, it was confusing. Um, the way it's done now is a lot easier. It just, it kind of makes sense with everything else. And the DM doesn't have to consult anything. It's all, we can all just know. Simple. So yeah. Yeah. Plus five, a plus five for a low level fighter. That's nuts. That's yours. You're hitting a lot of the time. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 That's reality. And funny enough, like I said, because of the charts, it was kind of almost that way before. It was just as it was a hidden number of those. That to mm. hit bonus was hidden. It was in a DM's chart behind the screen that people didn't see. And so it's uh, it, it's fascinating that um, it all the whole system still works. It just now makes a lot, a lot. It's a lot easier to play now because it's just built, baked right in. You don't have to have, consult a chart to do it. Um yeah, I, I find it fascinating. I, if anyone, I know there's a number of people that play old school D and D, but they actually don't play with the uh, descending armor class. They'll play the new version of old school, which is the same. You know, your armor class goes up and play that way, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, anyways, that is um, a little bit in the world of uh, how uh, armor class and combat went. Um, do you have any questions on that, Jim? Or you knew you knew most of that anyway. Yeah, it took me a long time to figure that out, though, like years and years. And I got to say, honestly, Sean, like I have a learning disability when it comes to math. I just like check right out. But that's <laughs> on, like how you described it there is the easiest I've heard it like explained and like, oh, I get it. Like, oh, awesome. You know, so no, but, but well that, done that's, on that. thank you. And that, but that says something, Jim, like you are very knowledgeable on D&D, probably more knowledgeable than I am. And you had a hard time understanding it. And that's what I talked about, that threshold to entry. It was like really hard for people back mm -hmm. in the 80s to play D&D because first of all, like I said, we've talked this before, nobody talked about it. The whole satanic panic. If you played D&D in the 80s, you were like, you just didn't tell people because people would be like lecturing on you. Why Why are you like hailing Satan? What, what's the deal? Why are you a devil worshiper? And that was a nightmare to have those conversations. Um, so it was really hard to find other people that played. And... Uh, it was something you didn't just walk into a store and pick it up and start playing by yourself or get a group of friends. That was really hard to do because it didn't make a lot of sense. You needed that liaison. You needed a tour guide. You know, you needed your spirit animal friend to take you through the game and, and teach you how, how to play because it, it was uh, it's a lot. Um, the thing we said, it's, it's also not a one day game. It's not you don't just pick up D&D because &D you're going to play it, at, you know, like Monopoly. You're going to sit and play it once and not play it for like a year and play it again in a year's time or something. D&D is not really a game. It's an adventure. It's something that you go on. It's something that you do. And uh, I'm not saying you can't do that. Of course, you can play a one shot. You can do whatever you want. But the idea of Dungeons and Dragons, the concept of it is that it's an ongoing episodic campaign styled event adventure. And because of that, there's a lot behind it, a lot of rules and a lot of information because there has to be to be able to flesh a game like that out to make it last that long. So anyways um yeah i think that's probably it if uh you know, anybody has any questions or any anything on that or if i got anything wrong which i probably did uh feel free to you know comment let us know and stuff but i hope that maybe shed a little bit of light on uh, kind of old school D, D stuff i don't think so um i thought it was interesting too how like 10 is this like base for armor and stuff and they also have it tends the base for the stats too right like yeah just a regular human or yeah. whatever is 10 strength and the regular yeah and that's what makes the heroes is there yeah I, I can 
I can always remember too, Jim, people would roll up a character and they're like, man, my character's so lame. All I've got is like 12s and like a 13. It's like, dude, that's incredible. Like mm -hmm. an average person, which doesn't mean bad. It means average, like someone mm -hmm. who is of good health, you know, like, you know, standard height, like all those things that that person's like a, is good in real life. That's a 10 and you've got 12s and 13s. Like you're amazing, but people are so like, I need 18s. I should all my, all my yeah. you know, that no, 18 is like a rarity. 18s are like Michael Jordan's. Yeah. You know, like, right like it is it's like an 18 is like this super high level amazing type person that's like you know like a, a, a small handful of people in the world in that field type of person that's 18s yeah. like your character should have if you're lucky your character's got one of those you know what I mean? if you're lucky but i've played with people that complain if their other stats are on 12s and 13s like that's an amazing character like that's that's incredible yeah but just like a, a nine isn't, oh my God, that person's ugly or that person is like completely weak. No, no. Mm -hmm. Like it's really the other, you could be like in the threes and fours before that person is really starting to get like something that's, you know, where it's really a negative. Like it's 10 is average person. Mm -hmm. And then so, the, yeah, those right. are the best stats anyways, the negative ones. <laughs> We've talked about so many times and I'm an idiot. I like to go and nerf my characters and give them more problems. Like it's, it's the frailties and the issues and stuff that you give your character. That's what gives life to that character and really adds to stuff, right? Like it makes it really, really interesting. Um, one of my players, we used to do the roll up charts at the beginning and you could roll also on like amazing things. If you wanted to roll, you could get an amazing, but you also have to roll on the negatives. So you'd get something amazing, but you get something negative. And one of the negatives my character, uh, one of the players got for their character was um, they got asthma. And so it's certain every day when we played, I'd roll to see how bad their asthma was without them knowing. And then I would tell them. And at certain times, they're in this moment when this crazy, huge, big creature was kind of stalking them. And they're kind of hiding. And it was really dusty in this thing, in this dungeon. It was just, I remember writing it that it was really dusty because it was very ancient. No one had been down there. And the dust affected my player. And he started sneezing because of his asthma which alerted the creature to where they were they're all like shut up shut up he goes i can't stop sneezing because he had mm -hmm. asthma and that was a lot of fun because they might have been able to hide from that creature but they couldn't because he sneezed that to me is like a scene out of a movie like that's so yeah. cool and it's those frailties that you add to your character like maybe a lower stat is what really can make an interesting interesting character and then uh i recommend too when you're like making a character um um like negotiate with your dm you know be like hey can i how about I put my strength of one, but then I'll put my intelligence down two. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's always fun, too. Yeah. And I think, well, I don't know. I'm a DM that would certainly be down for stuff like that. I love playing with something. And if a player has an idea of something, the last thing you want to do is, you know, squash that idea. Because if they get excited about something, they're going to be really into their character. They're going to play a lot. They're going to be really into playing. And if you squash that, they're going to be like, oh, this guy's a, this guy sucks. I don't want, you know, they're not going to be into it. So yeah. as a DM, the whole, your job, you're a referee. You're just trying to keep everyone going and happy. So yeah, let them, let them play around a little bit. And, uh, and if anything, I ever, I find the players tend to understep instead of overstep. Like they'll say, mm -hmm. you know, they'll say what you, like what you just said. And I'll be like, no, nah, you know, give yourself a plus two and take the, take a minus one somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like I tend to find that as a DM, I'm more generous than what the players will even ask for, which I think is interesting. So yeah, it's fun to play around with that stuff. Definitely. So, cool. Well, if that's good there, why don't we uh, we call that a, a wrap on old school combat and Thacko. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll take a quick break and come right back. And Jim's going to talk a whole bunch about board games. Woo! Woo! Fantasy Factoid! 
Hidden worlds and wardrobes. C.S. Lewis's inspiration for the magical land of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe came from a reoccurring childhood dream he had about a fawn carrying an umbrella in a snowy wood. Hey, Warlock Rock, give me a word. Let's go with coffee. Dragon Warrior, can you give me a word? Every day, Tiger Wizard, let's go with Bog Witch. Awesome, let's make the swamp hut of the caffeinated Bog Witch together. What's going to happen in this swamp? Well, obviously, trouble is brewing a latte. (laughs) (laughs) Do you love game design and seeing the guts of how RPG adventures are made? Listen to the Epic Level's Mad Dungeon podcast, where guests from the world of role-playing games join us to create original and super fun content for your table. And we're back. I am introducing us because this is my segment and (laughs) Sean made me. (laughs) (laughs) I did make you and you're killing it. (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah i guess we're just gonna talk about some of my favorite board games is some that i thought people could check out that they might like or maybe haven't heard of or whatever so it, it blows my mind that you don't really play board games or haven't played that many isn't that weird i also haven't really played that many video games like i'm not really a big video game guy i don't know why i just i think i got to D D when i was young and that was just it for me like that was that 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 scratched the itch you know what i mean in a way and i just yeah yeah. I also am impatient. I don't feel like sitting, spending four hours reading on how to play this game. And so many of those cool board games out there, they take that much, you know what I mean, investment to figure out how to play the damn thing. Yeah. Well, luckily there's some pretty quick ones to learn as well out there. There we go. And we're going to learn all about them today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, first off, hot take. I just want to say, I hate Monopoly. I hate Monopoly yeah. so much. I refuse to play it now. It's all you do is... You can literally have a robot with a little hand that rolls the dice and just tell the robot to buy every time you land on something you can buy. And then you can walk away for two hours and come back and see if you won the game. (laughs) There's no like, I don't know. Unless I'm not a big Monopoly fan, but I think the only way it becomes fun is if you go beyond their rules and you get into like bartering and trading and mm-hmm. buying stuff from people, do you know what I mean? Which kind of really isn't in the Monopoly rules. And then you kind of get into trying to be a mogul and, you know, getting your places together. Like, I think that's about it. But I'm not a, yeah. you know, I haven't played Monopoly in a bazillion years. So who am I to say? Yeah. The only time I can understand it, if it's like an old, like childhood tradition, something you've yeah. been playing with your family since the dawn of time before there's, you know, a billion board games out there. But <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> people stop playing Monopoly. There's Many, many, <laughs> many better board games out there. <laughs> um, my son Connor and Russ uh, from our game, they're huge board game people. Like they're always trying new games and playing new ones. And Con got a couple for Christmas. And yeah, like they are, they're into it. Yeah. I love them because it's kind of like um, if you can't get everyone together for D&D. Yes. Like you're missing one or two people. Grab a board game out. And That's cool. If everyone knows the board game, it's just set up and then you're... Yeah. Off to the races, right? So, yeah. Um, and then it just kind of scratches a different itch in your brain, too. It's a little bit more competitive than D&D. So, yeah. Funny enough, I did buy a board game probably must about 10 years ago. I think it's called Takiado. I believe it's called mm-hmm. something like that. It's it's, a, yeah. it's supposed to be like a Japanese. It's supposed to be like the, the is it the Silk Trade Road or something? It's the famous road that's in like, like Japan. And you got to get from one location to the one at the end. And there's all different cities you visit along the way and i will say the one thing about that game and you're probably gonna laugh at me because i'm a dummy but that i thought was so interesting is that if you have like five people playing and you're at the first and you got to get to the last one you can literally go from a to b on your one move just go all the way there if you want or there's a bunch of things you can do along the way it's up to you how much you want to do and the person at the back 
can obviously keep doing as many as they want because they're the furthest back and it always mm -hmm. goes to the person at the back. It's their turn kind of thing. And I just thought that was fascinating that it wasn't like go around the table in order. Like it's literally, it makes its own order based on how people choose how far they want to go. Mm -hmm. And it breaks the mold of a standard Monopoly game of just everyone takes turns and rolls the dice. I did think that was pretty fascinating. And I'm sure a lot of other board games that you play have those kind of, you know, mechanics in it, where it's very much not a roll the dice, go round the board type of feeling. And I did think that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, like every board game after like late 90s, there, mm. like, oh, people just don't want to just roll dice and go around a track a whole bunch of times as much as I love trouble. You know, that's a, <laughs> but like that's such a <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mrs. Ardenor also loves exploding kittens. That's her. Oh, that's her yeah. Favorite. She loves that game. Yeah. I've played that one. That's a good one. That's fun. Yeah. Do you know you got lots of board game knowledge in there? Not really. I'm, I'm getting getting close to the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm gonna bring one to Hardcon. I'm gonna make you play it. I'll be up okay. for a few days. So. Okay. Well, first off, yep. my favorite game of all time, Agricola. That's a uh, farmer in Dutch is what that means. Oh, okay. It's a resource management game. So uh, you're a farmer in a little wooden shack, and your spouse, and you have little kids and stuff. And on a turn, you can take uh, two actions, like you and your spouse. And then you, you know, collect uh, clay or wood or stone, build fences, get animals, like so on. And it's cool because it's a giant um, thing on the board with like all these pieces. So you can play however you want, right? So if yep. you want to be a big farmer guy and just focus on crops, you can do that. If someone wants to be get a bunch of pigs or cows or whatever, right? So you can, it's cool because everyone plays it a little differently and there's, you know, a million different ways to play it. And then at the end, you just count up all your resources on your farm to see, uh, like, who won that way, right? How does that differ from um, Catan, Settlers of Catan? Um, with Agricola, there's just, like, a whole bunch of, uh, like, spots. And then there's, like, 14 rounds. It's just, like, it's set up kind of like a season. Oh, like okay. A, or, like, a year kind of thing of farming. <clears throat> then there's cards you can get that help with stuff like some it's like the builder so now when you get wood you get double the wood or mm. whatever it takes forever to set up and every time that there's a round you have to like restock all the little booths or whatever but right. it's very visually pleasing it's me and my wife's favorite game we've played That's the cool. hell out of it um Catan yeah, is a bit more like risk isn't it where you're trying to gain yeah. space right yeah yeah it's a little bit I find it's better than Risk, too, because it takes a little less time. So, mm. like, way less time. Yeah. Um, with Agricola, though, it's fine. So, you get this just monster of a manual with it, right? Me and my wife were trying to figure it out. And then, so we, like, nothing. We, you know, started bashing heads a bit and just like, oh, my God. Like, we're never going to figure this game out. And then we found a YouTube video and explained it perfectly. Oh, cool. And the top comment on that had like, you know, 12,000 likes. It said, this video saved my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, just remember if you're like struggling with board games, like there's, there'll be a YouTube video about it. A whole yeah. bunch of them. Well, that, that's funny you say that, Jim, because I bet that also relates back to our last previous conversation about getting into D&D, &D, where back in the day, there was no YouTube. No. You couldn't bring up a YouTube, you know, video to show you how to play D&D, &D, which, of course, now there's a million. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Another win for the internet. Yeah, we got the resources. <laughs> yeah. All right. And then at close second here is Carvana. It's made by the same people. It's basically okay. the same game, yep. except it's a little bigger because you're dwarves this time. And now with the farming, you also have the mining. 
And same thing, you go on adventures and there's a chart and it's just so many pieces. Like just if you love board games, it's just everything you could ask for in these. <laughs> if you're new these, to board games, don't even attempt these games. <laughs> you said you said Carvana, so I was thinking, oh, like you're a, you're a car dealer and you're selling used cars and uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, what else we got here on the list? Catan. That's uh, yeah. another one up there. Yeah, it's like we said, you're just settlers on an island. Same thing. You're just competing against each other to build a civilization the fastest. Basically, a dumbed down risk. And I actually have can... played that, believe it or not. There you go. Oh, nice. So a little uh, thing. I'm sure uh, anyone that's a pro at Catan will know this move. But So what you do, if you have a bunch of resources everyone likes and you have one of those cards that demands everyone's resources of a certain kind, okay. you trade, you make dumb trades with everyone and they'll be up for it because it's you're losing out. So everyone trades you and then you play that. Everyone has to give you that one resource card. That already traded. Crazy. <laughs> I think so- you, you, you cut out for a little bit there, Jim, I think. Can you say from uh, what you're saying about the resource card? Yes, there's a resource card where it says that everyone at the table has to give you that one resource. Okay. So if you have that or whatever resource you want, people want that that you have, you trade it to everyone. And then so everyone has, say, it's wood. So you trade off all your wood to all these people and you get all their stuff. And then you play that card and demand all the wood. I've seen some pretty big fights break out at the table playing Catan, <laughs> people using that move. So it works good, but you're going to make a table of enemies. So oh, that's make hilarious. Sure make sure it's by the closer, uh, closer to the end of the game. I, I think I've told you this before, but I remember being young. I was probably like maybe like 10, 12 years old. My parents had friends over and they, my dad liked Risk and they decided they're going to play Risk. And they've got the whole, it's been going on for hours. They've got the whole world set up and there's pieces everywhere. And everyone knows like risk has a million little tiny pieces. Mm. Everything's going on. And one of the couples, one of the, the wise cameras just, I'm so done with this. And she flipped the board. And they were about three quarters of the way through. I thought my dad was going to kill her. Like I honestly, <laughs> I could just see him. He was just seething because you had all this time invested and now you can't reset it up. Like it's, it's no. gone. Yeah. And so, oh man, he was so mad. Brutal. Wow. <laughs> I don't think they got invited over again. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. That's a time sink. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. I do want to play uh, Lord of the Rings Risk one day, though. Right. Be a good one to get into. We played uh, Lord of the Rings Trivial Pursuit at our last like uh, oh, cabin fun. trip that we did. Yeah. And you need the right group of people for that, right? Yeah. Yeah, you do. So it I know was all of us. Connor and Russ play a, a Lord of the Rings game where you... One side is the Fellowship, and the other side is uh, Sauron and the rest of the bad dudes. Do you, are you familiar with that game? Mm, I don't know the name of it, them. but yeah, and it's it's pretty detailed. You got a ton of like figures, and the ring goes through the path of the ring. It's a whole. Then they've got it down now. They played it quite a few times, and they they quite enjoy that one. It's um it's supposed to be quite an in depth game. Oh, awesome! Yeah, you have to ask Khan about it one time. He'll tell you about it. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I just, and I have a hard time like with the instructions and stuff. So I usually need someone that's played it before. To- yeah, I hear you. Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Ardnor and I were on holidays. We went to a game store and this is where she got the exploding kittens. And she said, well, why don't we get a game? We can play some kind of game. I'm like, okay. So we looked around and we found one we thought sounded interesting. It's called something like the big book or something, I think it's called. And we're like, well, that sounds interesting. And it was kind of like, um, I think it's supposed to be like teenage kids or something. And they're like, there's monsters on this whole thing. I'm like, great. So we got that. We came back. We're sitting in our hotel room 
And it took us probably three or four hours just to read some of the stuff, just to lay the board out to get ready to play. By the time we'd done that, we were both so sick of it. We, we oh, never no. played it. We packaged it up and it's sitting on a shelf somewhere in the house. We've never played it. It was just like so much effort just to get the board set up. And there was so many pieces and so many cards and we never even figured out what we we're supposed to do. And we we're like, we gave up. Yeah. And like you said, I think you, that's, that is to me that the epitome of the early days of Dungeons and Dragons where you get all the information, you get the stuff and you get it all ready. You've rolled up a character and then you don't know what to do. And I think it's the same thing where you, you need to have somebody who's played before to say, okay, yeah, this is the stuff. Here's the things. Okay. Now let's go through a run through. You roll this or you do that. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. you need that guide. Well, you'll have to uh, watch a YouTube video on. Or watch that. a YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, next up here, Fancy Realms. This is another one that's pretty near and dear to my heart. Play it yep. with the wave quite a bit. Um, your ruler. It's just it's a card game, and every card's different, and they all have numbers and different things on them. And you're just trying to make the best hand. Um, okay. Takes like seconds to learn. You like draw a card, discard a card, and then it's the when there's ten in the middle, the game's over. And yeah, it's it's all fancy and stuff. It's made by WizKids, so cool. Pretty cool. And, yeah, just a big fan of that one. Um, Dungeon Mayhem, that's another card game. It's like a really streamlined version of Magic the Gathering, if you've okay. ever played that. Yep. Um, you have like a set deck of cards that you draw from. You're just trying to eliminate all the other uh, players at the table. You have an HP pool of 10. Some cards attack, some do shield, some heals. And then there's like special powers. <laughs> it's funny because it's just like the powers are like complement a player and to draw like whoever played that card and then... Cool. You compliment them, you get to draw a card as well or whatever, and then they get to draw as many cards as people drew cards or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you have to do a stupid dance or whatever. It's <laughs> it's like it's like Magic the Gathering for kids, but oh, you guys have a lot of fun playing it. It's so easy and takes no time at all. So right. again, in around five minutes. Well, it's funny because, you know, when you said board games, I didn't really consider cards or anything, but I know um, about, oof, it must be like 15 years or so ago, we went and we bought a you get these decks and you could build upon it. It was like pirates and it was like a pirate game with all these different pirates and ships and all this stuff. And I, I don't even totally remember how you play, but you'd build up a deck from it by shuffling them all together and pull out and you have this whole deck. And we got really into it. We actually went and bought like at the center box, like lead pirate ships, like mm -hmm. old ships. And we painted them all up. We each had different ships because you could, you use them as well at the same time. And we played that a Ooh. lot. We actually really enjoyed playing that. That was fun. Um, yeah. I don't even remember the name of the damn thing. But uh, it was that kind of idea with cards and this whole kind of, you know, deck of cards that you'd create in this hand and you'd play them and do different stuff and force people to do things. And yeah, it was pretty All cool. All synergy and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of fun. Oh, cool. Yeah. Look at that. I have a sorted past. Things I've yeah. actually done. There you go. Keep going. I knew we'd wiggle these out of you. <laughs> um, and then I got, it's my last one on the list for favorites. Uh, Lords of Waterdeep. So it's a resource okay. management game. So it's similar to the Agricola one where it's a big, big board full of all these pieces and stuff. And is that a common theme, Jim? Sorry to interrupt. But is that a, com a bit of a common theme for games? Is kind of, um, or is it just that you really like the agricultural games or is that a common thing? Uh, I really like those games, but there's thousands of them. Is there? But I just, I like those games because you can everyone plays it differently and you're not, you know, mm -hmm. like if, if you go on the wood bought for that turn i'm not like oh my turn's ruined i'm like oh i wait i need to do this or i should oh, okay. go in the cave or and then it's a lot harder to figure out what everyone's plan is too because everyone's in a million different directions right so right right cool yeah i was like it because it's like it's still competitive but everyone's kind of doing their own thing and 
I don't know. I just find they're more fun and they got a little bit more depth to them. Oh, it's awesome. Sorry, yeah. keep going. Talk about it. Yeah, but the Lords of Waterdeep, so you're a lord in the um, in Waterdeep in the D&D world of Forgotten Realms. Yeah. And you're buying businesses and recruiting adventurers by landing on certain spaces, like whichever one you pick. And then you have objectives and secret objectives, and no one knows what lord you are until the end of the game, so there's like Xanthar in there and stuff. That's cool. So it's... It makes it cool too because, like, say Xanthar, it's I forget, it's like the skull one or whatever. So, if you do the most skull objectives, you get extra points. Oh, right, right. But it's all so it's people see, and you always have like a few of them go in. So, people don't know if you just got like dealt that hand or if you pick that, or you know, there's a million different directions. These games are huge, right? So, I'm just trying to dumb them down and not doing a really good you. job. But yeah, oh, you're doing a great job. I'm there's a lot, of mo- lot of moving parts, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, and then now it's just, it's very immersive. Like if you like D and D cause you're in water deep and every, you sure. know, there's the Harpers and it's all the lore names and all the cards kind of have something to do with lore. And yeah, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. That'd be neat because you can pull a lot of the history that you just, you would enjoy. So that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And people that don't play D and D like hate it. Cause it's, you know, <laughs> like, what is this? And then they have to, le- they have to learn the rules and then they have to learn all this stupid lore. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, but yeah, I love board games. I grew up playing a million different kind of card games. Right. Big like card game house, crib and hearts and yeah, all that kind of stuff. My, I think my mom still plays solitaire all the time, you know. That's awesome. It's one of those. Uh, I, I reached out uh, actually to Russ because he plays games with Con all the time before Christmas and said, is there anything that's kind of like a, a, a wish list or a holy grail game that the two of you would like, you know, that you know that Connor would like? And he said there's a direction in games that they haven't gone really before in. And he said it's uh, a game that's had a lot of good reviews on. And he said it would be one that, that he knows that the two of them have wanted to go in, but no one's... So what they do is one picks a game, they pick a game and then one will buy it. And then they'll pick another game and the other buys it. So they oh, don't... cool. They kind of go back and forth and they play those games for a while and then they pick a new one. And then it's just someone's turn to buy that game and that way they can both use it, but just they're not doubling up on what they're getting. Yeah. And so he said this one was called um, Brass Birmingham. And it says it's an economic strategy game sequel to Martin Wallace's 2007 masterpiece, Brass. Birmingham tells the story of competing entrepreneurs in Birmingham during the Industrial Revolution between the years 1770 and 1870. As in its predecessor, you must develop, build, and establish your industries and network in an effort to exploit low or high market demands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, I guess it's a direction, like I said, they've not really done before. And I think they they might have started reading through. I'm not sure if they had a game of it yet or not. But um, yeah, anyways, that was kind of, that was fun. And it was just like, yeah, it'd be nice to get Kana, cool game for Christmas. And I've just got like no idea where to go. And so I said, reached out to our good friend Russ and he helped us out. And uh, yeah, it was kind of cool. It's Aww. a massive, it's a massive world, isn't it? Like the, the game board game world is unbelievably huge. Have you seen those like Instagram accounts of people that just have like rooms of board games? Wow. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, and it can, that can be expensive. Like we've talked about a D and D hobby can be expensive. Like board games, like, you know, hundred, 150 bucks for a game. Yeah. I found a uh, Gloomhaven. That's just, it's a huge, huge game. It's a big Kickstarter. It's yeah. I've heard that name. Yeah, the viewers can't see, but I'm showing Sean. It's a giant <laughs> box. Right. I think it retails for over 200 bucks. I found wow. it on like a buy and sell for 50 bucks. So I went and nabbed that. And like, I'll probably never play it. It was just because it was such a good deal that I was, right. you know. <laughs> you couldn't let it go. Yeah, I got a couple of buddies that have it, but. Crazy. Yeah. That's, then, that's yeah, that's, 
that's it for my uh, favorite board games. But yeah, we'll definitely have to get you on one of those. I'll bring a, I'll bring a super easy one. The thing is, like again, it's it's that threshold to entry, and that's always the thing for me. Like a lot of these, I'm just like, do I want to invest three to four hours to figure out how to play this stupid thing before I get to play it? And a lot of times, for me, the answer is like, I don't. I I don't have that much time. I can make something really cool in three to four hours, and you know what I mean. Like, Mm -hmm. and that's for me the problem. So it's like I said, it's a lot easier if you've got a buddy comes over and says, "Hey, let's play this game. I'll show you what to do," and then you can just get into it right away. That makes that kind of thing so much so much easier. Oh yeah, and that said too, like I only play board games really like when we're out like camping, right? And when, then yeah, when there's time to do it, while. yeah, like yeah. once every couple months with buddies. If you know D and D gets canceled or something, yeah. we'll just I'll play board games instead. Well, it's a really dumb way of thinking for me because what it is is that three to four hours is an investment because once you've done that investment, it pays off in dividends all the times you get to play that game. You know what yeah. I mean? But it's it's just that hurdle to get over is I think the problem. Yeah, oh, I get that. I just started learning uh, watercolors, and that's been nightmare. And I have a, <laughs> I have a hard time with that because with watercolor, if you, once you do something, that's it's that's forever. It. That's your thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's hard to hard to to change it. Yeah. So totally. Yeah, we. Uh, I did. I loved watercolors. Did a lot of watercolors in art class in in high school. Um, a little bit of acrylic, and then I foolishly, me and a buddy, tried to do some oil painting. Mm. oh my goodness what a disaster like oils are such a different monkey like it's just like you know watercolor yeah within about like 10 minutes 20 minutes it's all dry right but oils it's like it can be days before they've dried so ourselves is getting smeared and we're trying to move from place to place and it's like oh it's it's, it's horrible like i really hats off to people that paint with oil it's so amazing the work that they can do i just it was a medium that never made sense to me i just couldn't figure it out i don't have the patience at all it's it's hard it's really tough like even watercolors, I got the blow dryer now. Yeah, and you have to be careful how much dry. And you got to be careful how much you blow dry because you can go make like little spider fingers. Oh up, right? yeah, right. Too wet, right? So yeah, crazy. Which can be an effect. You might want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Awesome. Cool, buddy. Well, that's a really thank you for that. That was really interesting, and uh, I'm sure a lot of our viewers. Uh, there's probably a lot of viewers that are game players and probably know a lot of the games too. But I'm sure there's others that don't, and it's uh, good to introduce them. Yeah. Oh, please send us your messages about um, what I was wrong about on this list and <laughs> what the actual best board game is. Yeah, their favorites, that kind of stuff. The ones you hate. Yeah. Totally. We want to hear it all. Just send us anything. We don't care. We'll read it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we're glad. Good to be back. It's uh, like I said, it's been it was a busy busy time, so it's kind of nice to take a few minutes and have a have a chat today. Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right, let's uh, take a, a quick break here, and we'll come back and close out the show. Sounds good. Next time on Thirteen Sided Die. Hey, people, we are back from our quick break. Uh, Jim and I were chatting about a number of things during that. And uh, one of the biggest ones probably was talking about the little bit of a duration we had. Um, But the funny thing is, like Jim said, this is something we do for fun. It's like really, you know, it's something that we do because we enjoy doing it and uh, we get to it when we can get to it. I mean, it would be great if we were very on schedule, but it's not like we're being paid, nor do we have, uh, you know, anybody we uh, really owe anything to to get it done when we get it done. So we do appreciate all of you lovely listeners and the people that make all these make great comments, but sometimes it's just not time to get everything done. And this is uh, something that does slide because it's just a passion, fun project. So anyways, we are here. It's the beginning of the year and we're happy and we've had a uh, really fun chat 
lot today. I hope you guys enjoyed the topics. We tried to shake things up and have a little bit of fun with them. And uh, yeah, we're just going to kind of close out the show. We have a couple things to talk about. First one is our lame joke time. And I have definitely a lame joke for you guys. <laughs> How many paladins does it take to change a light bulb? How many? None. How many? None. They're already the light in the darkness. So there you go. And I guess the argument would be is like they didn't have light bulbs when they had paladins as well. So <laughs> maybe that's that's maybe the better answer. Uh, I don't know. You figure it out. Um, okay. Uh, I think next uh, Jim has a, a bit of a lovely letter that was written to us. Well, looking this over, I don't know if I'd call it lovely, but. Okay. All right. Jim has a horrible letter that someone wrote. In big caps, hate mail. Good morning. <laughs> I hate that there have been no new episodes lately. Sad face emoji. Please do better. <laughs> Sincerely, a concerned fan. P.S. Thanks for being a few awesome dudes that are a delight to listen to. The passion you both have for what you do and the friendship you have is wonderful. P.S.S. Please dis disregard P.S. from this hate mail as it does not suit the subject of the email. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's lovely. I don't think I even read that one. Oh, that's fantastic. I shouldn't say that, but I, I, I haven't been checking the email very much lately. I've been too busy. So that was a treat to hear that. Oh, that's hilarious. Does it say who it's from? Uh, no. No, it's anonymous. Ooh, interesting. That's just, so fun. Uh, just a concerned fan. <laughs> it's probably our lore master. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, that's awesome. That's so fun. Cool. Well, I, we're not going to talk about what next episode is about because we don't even know when next episode. Oh, no, we do. We do know yeah, what next we episode do. is. What, we do. what are you talking about? Yeah, I have no idea. I don't even know what I'm doing. Guest next time. We have a secret guest, don't we? Yes. Special secret guest. Yeah. Special. Yeah, that's exciting. We don't know when it will be. We're trying to figure out those dates because there's a lot going on right now, but we'll get that date organized and we'll be excited to have our super secret special guest on. Yeah. Really yeah, excited for that one. Kind of messed that up. I forgot all about that. Like, yeah, we didn't talk about anything. We got nothing going on. That's okay. I'm rusty, man. I'm rusty. We haven't we haven't talked for a while. Yeah. Got to get back in the flow. That's all good. I'm glad that we did this, man. This is a lot of fun. And yeah. I'm glad we can reconnect again and talk about gotcha. some cool stuff to our listeners. So we appreciate totally. you guys. Yeah, you guys are great. Just such great support. And uh, I know, like I said, I've had a few people commenting to me like, well, you guys can do another episode? I'm all caught up. Um, I think one person said they're starting to re-listen to them. And that's not a good sign that they're having a loop. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if they re-listen to them, they might realize how shitty they are. <laughs> they're going to stop listening. Totally. Maybe once. It's okay once, but twice. That's that's scary. <laughs> Too funny. Oh, we had that was it too. Remember, I, th I think we talked about that, but it was the, the gentleman on youtube who was um kind of making it look like your fungin was his because he had mm -hmm. it in the background of his youtube videos yeah and uh you reached out to him and commented like dude like that's kind of my background and he was very good about it he he, oh, he kind of awesome. apologized he was good wasn't he? then he did a like a video short talking about our podcast and holy smokes we had a bunch of listeners like hundreds of new people come in and listen to our podcast because of this guy and we've probably lost all that now because it's been ages and those people probably aren't gonna hear anymore but that was uh, that was pretty nice of him yeah no, i appreciate that yeah he just said he just like uh googled like yeah D, &D room totally. <laughs> mine popped up i guess so yeah, i don't think he ever said he made it he was just using it as his background yeah, to look yeah. cool right so uh, yeah maybe yeah. we'll no, really when we release this, we should reach out to him and see if he'll go and promote us again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciated that because he could have just told me to pound salt, right? Like, totally. Hey, man, this is an image I found online. Like, you don't know. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So, he had a lot of followers on YouTube, didn't he? 
Yeah, yeah, like over two hundred fifty thousand or something. something so stupid, he's yeah. a big YouTuber. Yeah, but let's try that's, and connect. Uh, that's let's connect with him again. Dad. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay, I think that's enough blathering for today. Um, I had a lot of fun. It was great catching up, buddy. And yeah, uh, yeah hopefully we won't be uh, too long. We'll be back here in the virtual studio and we'll be talking to our special guest. Definitely. All right, we'll see you guys real soon. Sounds great. Take care, Jim. All right, Suzanne. Bye-bye, Bye. everybody. Well done, you. You've made it to the end of the podcast. You are a bold adventure to be sure. Remember to fill your wire skin and to have your blade sharpened at the blacksmith's before departing. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast to be notified of new 13-sided die adventures. And don't forget to tell your friends about the silly fools talking about D&D. 13-sided die has been brought to you by Sean and Jim. Executive produced by Sean and Jim. Mini painting by Sean and Jim. Engineered by Sean and Jim. Cobble and torture device by Sean and Jim. Conceptualized by Sean and Jim. Please note, no goblins were harmed in the making of this podcast.